Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are talk full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Coming strong, as strong as we can, with another off-season edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Got some, actually got some newsy-ish stuff to get to this week. I went out to the Angelo Football Clinic in San Angelo last week. Tom Herman was one of the featured speakers, so we'll get to some of that. And I want to pick Rod's brain on something uh, that I was thinking about with Todd Orlando this week or in the last few days as I'm starting to really dig into the Texas defense. So let's go ahead and get into it, and let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? Matt, do you mind that I call you the drop machine, even though we don't really play drops on this podcast I'd anymore? sometimes say that, but it's like, nah. Either way, whatever you want to call me is cool with me. Well, that's... But uh, you can move on from it, too. Hashtag drop machine. That's what, uh, <laughs> that's what we'll call Matt. That would be very on. nice to have. Yes. Uh, a man who is uh, known by many hashtags. You can get to him in a number of different ways, because he is a renaissance man. Not just on Longhorn Blitz, where he is our lockdown corner, but on 104.9 The Horn, where you can get him each and every weekday from 1 to 3 on the Rodcast. Lifetime hey, Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas, into 40 acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will have a big-ass <laughs> presentation. He will wear it proudly forever and ever. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you're an All-American, officially recognized by the NCAA, you're a black card member of DBU. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother. Always pumps me up. Makes me feel good. Rod, here's something I I don't think we've ever talked about on the show. Real quick, just our little segment here at the beginning. And then I've got a couple housekeeping items to get to, and then we'll get on with the show. Um, You were number two in high school, yes? Yeah, deuce. Was that for Deion Sanders? Yep. Okay, pure yeah. Dion style, like the amateur Dion. Mm-hmm. Did you ever stay Dion? Did you ever go to Everett Rawls and try to maybe barter something or try to swap numbers? No, or was I didn't. He stuck with hey, I've got two, and you can wait until. Yeah, he was defense. I think he was already a starter or a projected starter. There was no way. There's nothing I could do. You can't pay him like you do in the league. Right, yeah. take somebody's number. And at the so time, I was stuck. You could have offense cool. and defense. So I think Sims actually took mm-hmm. number two on offense first. He was yeah. like one. He was a lot of numbers, actually, but yeah. one of them was two. I, I remember that because he liked number two. I well. think two came open his senior year because I want to say Montreal, Montreal Flowers, Flowers still had, had it. it. Yeah. One, yeah. yeah, everybody on two was like one. Two was probably the most coveted number on the team or among them. There's no doubt. One thing that's lost no in our old drop machine, all of Montreal Flowers' beats. We had like 20 different oh, beds right. of Montreal Flowers' beats they that had we used the trail to randomly beats. play. I'm sure we can get those from Trail. <laughs> if we really beats. I'm sure Trail still has plenty of the beats ready to go. That's awesome. We also need yeah. to get those VY drops back that are just priceless. The VY drops, yeah. Oh, I have some of them. 
Yeah, got to get the VY drops back. I think the VY freestyles. Also. Yes. Hey, Rob, the, those are on YouTube. You take, that's true. YouTube, I can go steal a lot we of stuff. We do love the VY freestyles. Those are awesome. That was Rogue Radio days, though, when you used to not always have to get internet rights. You just went and grabbed whatever you wanted, and we played so much stuff. Very that's true. the type of stuff you can still and, grab because there are no rights. Yeah, 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 you're right. It's not, it's not stealing. You need to call it what Chris Del Conte calls it. It calls it R&D, rip off and duplicate. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, the NFL does that all the time. Or hey, research and development. That's everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> everybody quick. does And that. actually, you know what, Rod? I've listened to his podcast a little bit, and uh, his appearances on Pro Football Talk, it's becoming kind of how I get my NFL news notes and opinions. He does a great job. Chris Sims. Um, the eight he wore as a freshman. I know you were his roommate. I don't know if this ever came up. Was that a Troy Aikman thing? Because I knew Troy Aikman was Troy Aikman and Brett Favre. Like honestly, this guy. I'm not sure where he got where he wanted the or eight. Was that just from. like the one number? Yeah, I'm not sure what the inspiration for the eight was. I'm, don't let me lie to you. I'm not sure exactly what that was. I know All he right. switched around. He wasn't loyal to the number though. So I'm I don't know pre- if he. I want to pretend it's because he was a Troy Aikman guy. So I'm maybe just gonna, I'm just gonna keep that in my head maybe. until like I'm Troy Aikman. Otherwise. You know what I mean? Be odd when your dad was going against Aikman in the championship. Game, was it so. was Phil? What was Phil? Number eight. Was eleven. Is eleven? Yeah. But Chris is Chris, Chris admitted is, he was a Sims Cowboys was, fan though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so a couple housekeeping items need to get to before we go on any further. Uh, first off, thanks to everybody. However, you get this podcast, whether you're doing it on megaphone, you're an Apple Podcast person, you're. Google Play, Stitcher, there's a number of different ways you can get this show. So thank you, however you're getting it. Um, please, by all means, what, whatever app you're on, please leave us a review. Five stars would be preferable. Um, that's kind of how we keep this show going. That lets the uh, the folks in the home office know that suits. feedback is good. The so suits want that. Don't hesitate. We're also working on, I've got this in my brain. I think we're going to do it later this summer. We're going to do some kind of Q&A podcast that's probably going to involve a Twitter hashtag, but I'm going to get cool. with Matt and Rod, and we're going to figure out kind of how the best way to do that is. So one of our shows in the near future will be kind of a Q&A instead of us just sitting here. I like that. Uh, rambling. Nice. It's a great idea. On, on about uh about trying to fill stuff in that offseason. We're in the offseason gap, Rod. There's no more NBA, NFL, OTAs are done until training camp. Uh, we've got – That's major, how boring Major League Baseball yeah, is. Major People League don't baseball. even really – they consider <laughs> yeah. it's the dead zone of sports. It's a dead it's like, season. Well, it's actually right in the – you know, Major League Baseball is right in the, the middle of it. Like, the like, the ah, summer de- classic. <laughs> the dead <laughs> the, zone of well, sports. I mean, that's what nobody even knows. Uh, the but actually, game. how about this? Major League Baseball is having the most prolific – season in terms of home runs that they've ever had. Yeah. I mean, oh, hitting way more home runs than the Gorilla Ball era. And everybody's any of complaining that. about it. Yeah, you got three guys. Yeah, exactly. People <laughs> complain about anything. You don't pay to have three guys hit at least 50 home runs. They're like, striking ah, balls out. are juice. I'm like, screw it. Who cares if the balls are juice? Jay, well, and then they're striking everybody out. Right? And like, everybody loved Nolan Ryan striking everybody Did, out, but nobody likes it now. I want to say the is it the Padres and... Yeah, they had an insane Was the Padres and the Rockies? Hits in the series they had like ever. 92 runs yeah. Something like that scored between the, the, the two of them in the four-game series. Charlie Blackman had 15 <laughs> hits in one series. And people are complaining. I'm like, what are you complaining about? Yep. We've been the, the future of baseball is that series we just saw. Yeah. God, sign me up. Thank God. Yep. Thank God. Juke the, the hell NBA out of the ball. already taken over. Right? Real like quick, bef- before we get back to Texas anyway. football, i got to mention this. Happy, <laughs> happy belated Father's Day. To everybody oh, that's out right. there, all the dads out there. Happy Father's Day to you, brother. You're the only father was, in the room my here. Father's Day was awesome. I found somebody went to Twitter, and Matt, you mentioned Nolan Ryan. That's what made yeah. me think of this. They listed all the father-son duos Nolan Ryan st- struck out in his career. <laughs> Did you know Nolan Ryan struck out Sandy Alomar Sr., Sandy Alomar Jr., and Roberto Alomar? That's pretty cool. I'll strike out wow. victims by Nolan Ryan. That is awesome. 
That is a that is an you awesome got Griffey's. Griffey Senior, Griffey Junior, Bobby Bonds and Barry Bonds, Hal McRae and Brian McRae. Yeah, pretty badass. That's, yeah. yeah, that's Those pretty awesome. Guys. Yeah, well, when just the got, Bonds is the Griffey's. When you stru- when you've got over five thousand strikeouts in your career, yeah. over four decades, there's gonna, there's gonna be some overlap. Like he's he literally had sixties, seventies, eighties, and nineties. Yeah. Four decades. He's got some Will Chamberlain like stats. It's crazy. Yeah, and uh, I worship the ground the guy walks on. So because he's Nolan freaking Ryan, why would he? <laughs> he's Texan. Two the two baseball teams in Texas both claim him. That's how good he is. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> like, it also will ours. be the most controversial like baseball conversation you ever had between baseball fans. and in baseball historians. Uh, that's true. Good point. I had somebody tell me one time, and I don't want to get too far on this. I, I once had somebody tell me, because you know, if you look at the Hall of Fame ballot, like Nolan Ryan got in on like 93.7 or something percent. I'm like, what was the other <laughs> six point something percent of the people thinking? And like, there were some baseball writers that really thought Nolan Ryan was overrated. Oh, well, well, I mean, he that's... sort of was when you look overall at just his career. Like, the way – because people view him as the best pitcher ever, and he's so far from being the best, best pitcher, pitcher ever. ever. But, like, if you talk to – I've had this conversation with tons of friends and family that are just like, oh, well, I thought Nolan Ryan was, like, the consensus. Like, that's your Michael Jordan. I was like, no. no he's he was Will, just your best He's Will power. Chamberlain. Yeah, and he's your be best kind power of like, guy. Exactly. I don't know because Will Chamberlain's – well, we don't consider him the greatest ever, but he's got some stats that you go, what? Like, he never what young, the hell? won a Cy Young. Isn't that crazy? That's he was freaky. never even the best pitcher yeah, in a crazy. season. That's crazy. Was where he was in his career. But he's the longevity yeah. fireballer with the biomechanical That's arm weird. that can throw hundreds of pitches and strike everybody That's out weird. constantly. That's so strange. Yeah, that's weird. Yep. I didn't even know that either. He had never won a Cy Young. <laughs> I don't even know. I just assumed, I guess. Yep. It's crazy. All right. Well, let's get on to uh, Texas football. <clears throat> and uh, excuse me there while I clear my throat. Um, I was at the Angelo Clinic. Take a shot if you're uh, listening to that as much as I bring up when I've heard guys like Todd Orlando or Herman do clinic speeches. But the, one of the featured speakers at Angelo this year, guys, was Tom Herman. And uh, it was Tom Herman and Drew Maringer. Tom Herman, you know, on the on the stage, talked about it was more about kind of building a program. And there's some interesting stuff in here. A lot of stuff mm-hmm. we've heard and the people listening to this podcast have heard before. And then Drew Maringer talked about uh, the Texas three levels passing game. And I want to get on that real quick because we talked so much X's and O's offensively on last week's show. But, Rod, basically it's kind of a really kind of a new age version of the West Coast offense, more of a streamlined version of the West Coast offense where really you're flooding one side of the field with some sort of vertical route, either a, a go or a post, some kind of post corner concept, mm-hmm. or and then you've got a flat route. Yeah, layered layered route concepts. Yeah, you know, from every different layers for different levels. And basically, when you, it's too nuanced for me to get into it without visual aids. But basically, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, I agree. It's kind of lost because it's kind of so conceptual yeah. that it would be yeah. And it, I've got diagrams here in my legal pad. And yeah, you can't do it justice just trying to break it down. I agree with that too. But right. it is. It's kind of a lay, a level, a, a layered passing game. If I get you correctly, and then ba- based on what the quarterback, based on what he's reading from the defense, mm-hmm. pre-snap and even post-snap, then he knows exactly where he's going and where he intends to go with the football. Very rarely will he be surprised by where he needs to go. Right, and there's some mm-hmm. there's some outs in there if it's a, basically the three levels the three right, level system, especially in the Big Twelve, Rod, mm-hmm. where you're playing. A lot of quarters, a lot of you know, zone. you know, Gary Patterson loves to split coverages. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically no matter what zone coverage you see, there's going to be a hole in it somewhere, and one of these levels of this passing game is going to be open based on 
number one, if the routes are run correctly, number two, if the quarterback sees it right. It really it gave me more of an appreciation for the quarterbacks and Tom Herman's offense and what they have to read uh, and really kind of how the whole thing works together because there's a lot of times where you can see like an incomplete pass or a turnover and you're like, man, that was a bad ball by the quarterback. Well, no, because now when you go to these clinics and you look at how it's supposed to be run, if that wide receiver flattens his route out too early – and the DB undercuts it. Well, that's not the quarterback's fault. That's the receiver's fault for not running yeah. the right route. Yeah, he's got based on where the defender is. All those routes, um, they're malleable. You know, yeah. I mean, he's you know, you run the drag. You're not going to run the drag. You know, right where the defender is right in front of you. In front of, in terms of the quarterback's view of you, you're going to try to make sure you can run it outside of that defender or give that quarterback room to work. So that is that's all part of the the passing game too. I mean, that's on the wide receivers. Uh, so I agree with you. That's a, and, you know, I don't know if they run option routes or a lot of option routes, you know, but, you know, that's a, you know, kind of another added element of the passing game now. Like, that's why you, as a defender, you almost can't be right sometimes, depending on where you are mm-hmm. <laughs> where, and then, or, and or what leverage you're defending. You're in, exactly. They decide, oh, it's an out route. It's too. an out route instead of an in cut. And it's like, well, hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's why the pre-snap for the defense is also so big, and that excuses the quarterbacks because if I can get him reading a cover four, but I'm really – we're in a split where it's four on the weak side or the strong side and two on the back side or the strong side, then that's how we get a quarterback to throw us something. Right. You know well, I mean? and it tests the – I mean, communication so key. Not only are the offense having to be on the same page at all times and understanding what they're seeing because then the defense, yeah. though, you're manipulating their – Everybody's huh. view. Everybody's yeah. view of the defense is being manipulated at, at the beginning of time. And then so, if they're yeah. in, say, a zone, you're going to be able to find the mesh points. You're going to find yeah. something. It's just a way that you can easily get the guy open. That's why you call it scheming them open yeah. in those type of plays. If you want to see – if you want to go – I'll give you a cut, two plays plays in particular if you want to go do some film study and look at this three levels passing game and kind of how Texas runs their concepts. The first is the true three levels concept. The 2017 home game against Kansas, the first touchdown of the game, it's a post route from Shane Bouchel to Lorenzo Joe. Mm. That's a three levels concept. You'll see Lorenzo Joe, his read is he sees the safety, he recognizes its quarters, and for that outside receiver who's running a vertical route, yeah. basically it's if he sees its quarters, he's going to the post, mm-hmm. he takes the post. Dorian Leonard does a really good job of taking a safety with him and takes the flat defender with him, and I think Chris Warren is, I think, the flat route on that, but the post is wide open. and mm-hmm. you kind of. But you can see it all just kind of work and how those routes kind of mesh together and everything. It's really yeah. nice. And the other concept they talked about was kind of something they do off the bubble which would be for the number two receiver to kind of show that he's blocking and then kind of release up the sideline, almost like on a wheel concept. Mm-hmm. The those the one catch Brennan Eagles had last year. It was the uh, in the Tulsa game. He had a 35-yard reception in the Tulsa game. If you find that play on video, that's kind of one thing Texas will expand on with their bubble screen game. They'll show bubble, but they're really the route is the, the number two receiver blocking, and then he'll take it up the uh, – up the sideline on a wheel route, wheel concept. Yeah, I mean, it's just, um, I mean, it's just kind of an advance, basically taking the play to the next level, advancing that play concept, right? So I'm the defender, and I've been taught that if they're going to run, say they're going to run the, the bubble screen, that if I'm that corner, then immediately, you know, the the the, the guy that come to block me. I take him on, and then I go through him. And based on my leverage, I probably want to keep outside leverage just the corner. I go through him to go get the and force it back inside, or to go you know mm-hmm. get the receiver. 
And if now that guy's going to block me <laughs> for a, a half-second count or whatever and then release, mm-hmm. well, hell, I may, I may not be able to barrel down as quickly. Now I got to come, I got to gather myself before, you know what I mean, before I end up initiating contact with that offensive guy mm-hmm. and think, okay, is he, you know, give, are you going? Are you going? By that time, hell, that's enough. That's just that split second mm-hmm. that that wide receiver needs to catch it and turn up field. You want to keep that bubble guy from turning up field once he gets his shoulder square. That's when it's going to be hard to tackle him in open field with a blocker on you. So, yeah, I see that. They, they just put that on film a couple of times, maybe once or twice a game, and that's all you need for a defense to go, all right, now we got to practice it. Now mm-hmm. we got to practice it. Yeah. And now there's practice, it's in my head. As a, as a as a cornerback, I tell you right now, I'm like, man, well, I'm not giving up that. That's a deeper route. I'm always taught give up the simpler route. Mm-hmm. Don't give up the deeper route. So if I know now they got a block and release yeah. strategy on that, I'm always going to be a little hesitant to barrel down and go, you know, balls to the wall to try to stop that bubble screen. And like we talked so it's about, a brilliant concept. Like we talked about last week, especially when you're talking about you know the flood concept with it. If you start guessing right as a DB on that wheel concept, you're like, okay, I'm, 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 I know he's blocking, or he's showing stock block, but I'm taking this wheel route. Yep. I'm gonna carry it up the sideline. Okay, now you've got a bubble where you've got maybe Jordan Whittington one on one with a safety, and if you're the be a offensive house staff, yeah, that's it's a, it's a house call. Well, and then you yeah. always know, fail safe, that now since you're in the mental consciousness of the defender and is fearful of the deep play, you're going to have that underneath all day long. Yeah. That's sort of something you see Belichick manipulate constantly with throwing two of those backs because they have somebody that's releasing vertical off the line. It doesn't matter if it is somebody coming out of the backfield, if it's one of your tight ends, or if it's the one that's on the seam already. Got to respect It's like we talk about with the RPO, you're always wrong. Mm-hmm. No matter what and, you guess, you're going to guess wrong. Yeah. And that you just got to well, be quick and decide, and you it, might be able to make a player disrupt it beforehand. Well, when you have a staple of your offense, you have to have the counter because you end up, say, you got a really aggressive corner who, say, like Texas corners last year, like Devontae Davis and Chris Boyd. It was hard to run bubble screens against those guys. Those guys were aggressive. They're big. They like to tackle. They're really good at open field tackling. So, you know, that wasn't easy, you know, but. Chris Boyd is overly aggressive. Uh, and Devontae Davis, if you can get him, you know, chasing, then that's already a win. So I'm surprised. Yes, why you saw double moves against our guys because they re- were really aggressive. I think that's the counter for, for Texas. We're going to use that bubble screen a lot when we get a corner who's well-coached, who's well-versed, has watched a lot of film, he knows the tendencies. We got a counter for him, and we'll put it in early so that we can still work that bubble in all throughout the day, and we'll just work him. Yeah. You know what I mean? We'll just, depending on how he's playing it, we'll just work him. And I think that's what's that's, that's all about specific game playing, you know, just going after a specific player, which is what RPLs do. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. You talk about Chris Boyd and Devontae Davis, and that takes me to well, actually, there's some stuff from the Angelo Clink. I By want the way, heard he's doing well, Chris Boyd with the Vikings. With the Vikings, yeah, yeah. they like him. That's Texas DBs. They like him. Uh, yeah. They P- like him. Speaking of Texas DBs, PJ Locks hanging in there with the Steelers. He's doing well with the Steelers. Yeah. So, Rob, well, Deshaun Elliott's getting super comfortable. He is. DBU. <laughs> the one thing. That really stood out to me during uh, Tom Herman's lecture was, and we had, we've talked about it on the show, but I don't know if the the beat reporters at large have really focused on it. Tom Herman's never been a third year head coach. He got two at Houston. Yeah. He got two at Texas. This is his first time being a third year head coach. Mm-hmm. Hadn't, yeah, hadn't had the time. And he felt like, and he was talking about, he felt like in the spring, he wondered if the message was getting stale. 
like, okay, if you're in your third year in a program, mm-hmm. you've heard all this before. He's mm-hmm. only used to that change. And phase. do guys kind of start to mock him? Like, yeah, 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 unit pride, want to know every day, blah, blah, blah. No, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Rod, you you played for Mac Brown. I'm sure you heard stuff yeah. as a freshman that by the time you were a senior, like, okay, yeah. Yeah, you would not tune it out, but you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Before yeah. he's, he's going to, he, you know he's going to say it before he says it. Yeah, 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 I get it. So, Tom Herman said he called a lot of different coaches that have been in the situation, a lot of tenure guys, and he said the one, the one thing that really stuck stuck out to me, stuck out to me, stuck out to me, <laughs> was a conversation he said he had with Dabo Swinney, Ooh. and he said when he talked to Dabo Swinney about it, he said, "Don't change a thing." That was Dabo Swinney's advice to Tom Herman. Tom Herman's kind of like, "Well, why? What if the message is getting stale?" And what Dabo Swinney told him was essentially. If they start to mock you, if they can start to Im- like impersonate you and mimic you, mm. that means they're listening. Yeah. They, they so, you don't the need, so you don't need to change anything. Yeah. At least they know the message. You know that. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree with that. I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, their dad, you know, your grandfather. You mm. know those, those little um, models they would say to you, those little life lessons. Like, you remember them. It's a little portal and, into Herman's mind, though, too. Yeah. Like, when you think about that, like, he's actually, like, some coaches don't even care about that with him. He sort of always has had wanted to be friends or have a relationship with them, which is, say, different than all other coaches. So that might be why he's pondering yeah. this and other coaches. Like, Davos, like, that's all good. Yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> no, I agree. That's a good point. He's a Mensa guy. Here's a here's another stat I'm sure you'll like, Rod. This is Tom Herman. He came up with this. Uh, I know you were a big fan of like the Bill Walsh book. Which, by the way, have you tried to find a copy of that book? It's hard. You yeah. got to go to Amazon and go look for it. Yeah. If Amazon. You you pay a couple hundred it. bucks for it. It's yeah. Uh, Finding the Winning Edge. Yes. I believe is the name of it. Yeah. Um, this is from Tom Herman. I'm assuming. He, I'm assuming he did this on his own or had outsourced it from somewhere. When you win the turnover battle and the explosive play battle in the game. You win ninety six percent of the time. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, because turnover battle alone, I think it's like seventy to eighty percent of the time. Or explosive like play margin. Yeah. We talked about that from the Bill Walsh days. I think he has, yeah. it's around seventy five percent of the time. So yeah, I can see that. We say ninety six percent of the time, explosive play margin and turnover margin. The Big Twelve is like that too. I mean, the Big Twelve is very close to that um, to being you know that ratio. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And here's here's the other thing that really stood out to me. He talked about his philosophy going forward on fourth down, like especially when they're in the red zone. Because Texas goes for it a lot on fourth down. And last year, as we talked about, they were one of the better fourth down mm-hmm. offenses in the country. Basically, his philosophy is this, and this is especially true in the Big 12. The, the, the six points, the seven points you get for a touchdown, at the end of the day, if you have more of those than you have field goals, you're probably going to win the game. Those are going to add up and help you. The simple math tells you that. But if you get stopped inside the five or whatever on a fourth down, okay, basically if they want to drive 98 yards on our defense and score a touchdown, they've earned it. Yeah, you still get the field position. Right. You still get the uh, the field position. You put your defense in a good state. So you still can come back, even though you lost that, and still come back and get points off of production you got from that drive, even though you didn't get points on that previous drive. You know what I mean? Like yeah. It'll be that drive that puts you in position to score on the next one. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm always about going for it on fourth down. I, I mean, I, I don't think, especially when you have a, a, a weapon like Sam Ellinger, I don't think there's a downside to it. Yeah. Like, like we said, I mean, the, I mean one, the one time it really didn't work for them last year. Fourth and short. 
was the fluke deal against West Virginia where everybody in the stadium, everybody watching on TV, he's like, all right, they converted. And then they go to replay, and they're like, oh, he didn't. Sam's knee hit first. Yeah, that was weird. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, I think it's benefited Texas more than it's hurt yeah. Texas. Oh, yes. Uh, since Tom Herman's been in. Like I said, that was, a, that was a fluke deal. If his, <laughs> It's so funny. If his knee is, you know, one half inch higher on the ground and the ball's out a little further, whatever, it's the first down. they probably win that game. Yeah. No second of extension. Yeah. But, yeah, if you look at going for it on fourth, the numbers bear it out almost like even into your own minus territory. Like if you're past the 40 unless you have, like, say, mm-hmm. a Michael Dixon. A Michael the way Dixon. Michael Dixon was around and you had a weapon at punter and you could actually yeah. trust that he can deploy get it inside this the and 10, always inside get the a five, net 40-45, yeah. then it's worth it. Otherwise, if you're anywhere around midfield and you're fearful of it and then you kick you know, a ball into the end zone, you're only netting about 20 yards, which is one explosive play that you inside, end Agreed. up getting, you know, so yeah. it's it's like one it. first down, you give mm-hmm. up, and you yeah, I agree with that. Texas was number two in the country in fourth down offense last year. That's pretty good. Twelve bam, bam, 15, 80 percent conversion rate. The only team better than them was Army. Hmm. I, I, so I want to know exactly how many of those are <laughs> short. Are I, your Tom Brady one yard sneaks? Well, so like how much of those thing. are short? Fourth and two or less? Because that's that's mm-hmm. what Sam Millinger. I mean, that's when that's when you use Bam Bam Sam. That's when he comes out. Like if you want to. Just kind of stylistically, like Texas had 15 fourth down attempts, converted 12. Army was 31 of 36 on fourth down. It was 31 of 36? Mm-hmm. Damn, they went for it all the time. Yeah, well, it's I, always fourth and short for them, too, I imagine. Yeah. That's, it's always yeah, stylistically, a fourth yeah. and a one, well, a fourth and a two. It's strategy, too. Yeah. You're an option team just running mm-hmm. the ball. And then no surprise, Washington State went oh, for it 26 good. times last year with Mike Leach. You know, he loves to go for it on yeah. fourth down. That's just strategic. Yeah, he's probably like fourth and three or fourth and four. Yeah. To him, that's the same thing as fourth and one. I remember well, there, were, there were times at Tech where it seemed like it was like fourth and like 13 when he's going for it. Yeah, he might have. It. <laughs> uh, depending on like where he was on the field. Yeah. And he field probably had a getting... terrible punter because their kicking game was always really subpar, bad. Yeah. really bad. And he knew his defense was like, man. My defense ain't. I have to say, my defense has the same shot at keeping them from scoring from the, the forty-five as they do from I don't know the the fifteen. Like the well, defense yeah. was just really bad back then. And then he, had he no faith systemically in it. also was like, well, I don't need to waste any time going to recruiting punters. I'm just going to focus on these guys because I'm not even going to use the damn punter. The man point. was ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. Still is. So, Rod, I want to talk about some defense. And again, I'll have more stuff from Tom Herman. Real, just some quick newsy type things from the Angelo Clinic. Brandon Jones was expected to be. Tom Herman was hoping by Monday that they would get him fully cleared, no restrictions on workouts. So bottom line is Brandon Jones recovered nicely from nice. the ankle surgery. So he should be – really by the time you get to camp, he should have had several weeks of summer conditioning where he got to, to work it after missing all the spring practice, which is huge. Yeah. No update on DeGabriel Floyd. I asked Tom Herman just – because you never know. I mean, they might decide oh, to yeah, reevaluate I thought that was like next year we were going to reevaluate He still him. said December or January they'll go yeah. back and do another MRI. Yeah. That's still the so plan. So he just needs to focus so. on getting – Healthy, like he's got like real health issues going on, not injuries. Yeah, and yeah. then we, you know, the, I'll have some other stuff on the site that you'll find. We got into the Brew McCoy thing, and uh, oh, we man, talked people about still talking about that. Well, I, I looked at it just, just <laughs> no, from I'm the, sure I thought well, we had I, like, I really, I, was like, I hadn't I, talked about that in like a week. Well, just from the standpoint of he hasn't, I, I think I, I want to say maybe Anwar Richardson got in touch with Tom about that, but I was on vacation, he hasn't spoken publicly that's about true. that yet. That's true. But that's part of a different story as of right now that I'm working on, which is kind of out of state recruiting, not letting that you know impact those efforts because. 
ironically, they went out to Southern California, went to Cal Luther, and had a great camp out there, a great satellite camp. So there's yeah. Texas is still going to have a presence recruiting. Oh, yeah, in you, gotta go out. you still got to go out of state because you can't dominate the state anymore. That's impossible. So Right, and we talked about that. Yeah. That's We won't yeah. talk a ton of recruiting yeah, yeah, on yeah, here, yeah. but yeah. – it, that's kind of it's the only realistic. thing going on right now, but I think I think that's the the big misconception people have, right? I mean, you saw Tom Herman dominate in his first recruiting cycle. Mm-hmm. You saw Jimbo Fisher really dominate the state in his first full recruiting cycle, mm-hmm. Texas A and M. But now I just think there's so much of a melting pot of conferences here Can't do it, between man. the SEC and the Big Twelve. Yeah, I don't. You can you I, can you can you can have your big years, and then you can have you can have footholds in certain parts of the state. And you want Houston to be a foothold, Dallas to be a foothold, Central Texas probably you would like to be a foothold. Yeah, and you know, you know, you know Ohio, you know Ohio State's going to come. They're going to come in. Texas. You can't. You, yeah. yeah, it's just you can't build. The, you can't do what Mac Brown did and rule it like a dick, like a third world dictator, like he yes. did the state of yeah, Texas. That would can. never ever happen again. It's just impossible. Because yeah, I just I think you're going to get to a point where I, I would like to see it for the health of football in this state because I think it would speak well for the product on the high school level if Texas and Texas A and M are both top five, top eight type programs. They should year out, yes, year out. totally agree with that. I think that's the best you could ask from the state is that the two big dogs will year after year at least be able to get top ten, you know, top ten recruiting classes. They should. They should because it's Texas. I mean. Everybody's coming there. We're adding to a lot of people. Hell, Bama's coming in here and cleaning up. And man. you'd like to think – I know if oh, I a lot of Texas fans else. feel this way about Tom Herman. I assume A&M fans feel this way about Jimbo Fisher. You'd like to think, Rod, that both schools have the guy. They feel like I, we've got oh, the guy no question. who's going to be our head coach for the next decade plus. No question. I don't think there's any doubt on either side about that. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, that's just a quick rundown of recruiting. Yeah. All right, let's get to this Todd Orlando thing. And I, I was looking at some of the numbers, Rod, and – it's it's really I read stuff like from national pundits. Sports Illustrated was the one that I, I wrote a story about recently, and it's like, well, Texas loses eight starters on defense. Now nah, they lose eight starters on defense. Okay, yeah, you can say that, but really look at the number and tell me like what does that mean? Like you can lose starters, and, but it depends. It was what we talked about. It depends on where you lose them. Like mm-hmm. I give you a perfect example, right? Go back and look at that 2010 defense going into 2011. Mm-hmm. And going into 11, you lose Sam Ocho, you lose Aaron Williams, you lose Shockey Brown, you lose Curtis Brown. Yeah. It's four really good players. Mm-hmm. NFL guys. But where did you not lose anybody? Central nervous system. You didn't lose any inside linebackers. You returned keys to tackle. And you brought safeties. back Blake Gideon and Kenny Vaccaro. Yeah. Boom, you're a top 10 or whatever defense next year. Mm-hmm. I think you were, they were, what, ninth in the country in run defense or something, 11th in the country in run defense Yeah, in I think they were like, 20-something in scoring defense or something like that. So you've really got to look at where – what is that number – what is that eight starters? What does that number mean? Yeah, and I agree with you. And when we look at this defense, the two areas we see that are really big problems are your inexperience at nose tackle, for defensive line in general, but nose tackle first and foremost. Yeah, nose tackle first and foremost, but uh, I think linebacker. And inside linebackers. Inside linebackers, probably more. Those are the two areas. I, yeah. I think linebacker, I would put, if I'm ranking them right, I would I'd have put linebacker, linebacker one. Because D, D tackle, I like I like that you got a lot of guys, you got a lot of versatility. If worst come the worst curse scenario, I can put a Malcolm Roach or I can mm-hmm. put a Taquan Graham inside and then fill out the rest of the pieces. Or my top And I think Keandre Coburn. Yeah, I think Coburn's going to end up being that guy by midseason. We all do, but. I think there's com- those two options. Yeah, you got options, and there's confidence in the talent there. Linebacker, although I do like that, you know, Jeffrey McCulloch had a great spring. 
um, and Joseph Asai. I like what he brings to the table. There's still so much un- uncertainty, unproven, unproven commodities. Right. And, and in this defense, when you look at Todd Orlando's track record, right, I know you've broken this down. The bulk of the production on his defense has come from the two inside linebacker spots. He likes to funnel everything into those guys pretty much. And when you look at the production loss last year, I know everybody's going to look at Charles Amenahu's numbers, and rightfully so. He's the Big 12 defensive lineman of the year. You're going to look at what you lost there. But even you ask Charles, and he'll tell you this. He's like, look, the four-eye position, the end position in this defense, it's not meant to be like a double-digit sack guy. No. It's just if you've got a guy who can be that guy, then okay, you roll with it. But that's not the purpose, at least right now, as mm-hmm. the defense was constructed last year of that position. Agreed. But – you had your inside linebackers, Rod, last year generated 11.5 sacks. You only have one returning. You had 29.5 tackles for loss from your inside linebackers. Only 4.5 of those returned. 11 quarterback pressures, only one of those returns. Yeah. All those numbers were produced by Jeffrey McCulloch. So here's my thinking on this. And we've talked a lot about how, to an extent, the safety, how deep this team is a safety. That can help you mask some of those deficiencies mm-hmm. you have at linebacker. Is this the year where we see Todd Orlando not just tweak, but change the formula? Because when you look at what you look and he's got a deep, talented defensive line. I think we could all agree with that. Mm-hmm. Some of those guys are unproven, but the talent is there. Yep. You're more sure of the unproven commodities at defensive line than you are at linebacker, mm-hmm. for instance. Okay. You feel like he's got a B backer in Joseph Osai who can actually be what that position has what it's been intended to be just hasn't been through his first two years. And we know you've got massive depth of safety. So, Ryan, instead of funneling things through the inside linebacker spots and kind of just, I don't want to say throw caution to the wind or leave things to chance, but just say, hey, we'll just see if these guys can sink or swim. If you're Todd Orlando, do you look at now, okay, this one I've really got to change what I do and maybe get outside the box and play to my strengths, which your strengths are depth on the defensive line and just your depth and talent at safety. I don't even know if it's that outside the box. I mean, he was—he had a dime package that was starting in his first year, 2017. That's six DBs. True, yeah. He's starting six DBs. This year he went back to starting more, you know, into the into the nickel package. But, hell, man, you see all over football, the San Diego Chargers uh, played seven defensive backs, a uh, large majority of the playoffs last mm-hmm. year. Against the Ravens they did and against the Patriots. Now, they, it was great against the Ravens, and this Patriots, the Patriots ended up, you know, they, they ended they up shooting a— dime the Yeah, they ended up shooting a— uh, Yeah, they went and dime before that. They ended up shooting uh, a complete hole through that, through that game plan. But Patriots. still, it's being done. Even the Patriots are playing, I call it you know, the big nickel, and they're playing— Three, um, they're playing three safeties, and you can see them playing more dime coverage. Uh, so I don't necessarily think it's that outside the box. It's pretty much R and D, all right. Space. Rip and dupl- rip, rip off and duplicate. Them. It really is. I mean, it's that simple. And we talked about when you go look at the NFL and the teams that are that are having offensive these offensive revolutions, and they're starting to look like Big Twelve offenses. That's Kansas City. That is that's Philadelphia. You know, when we've seen those teams go up against Bill Belichick, the premier defensive mind, arguably in football, other than Nick Saban, he always just plays more safeties. That's usually, I mean, I'm not trying to simplify in his game plan, but he likes, he says, we need to play more safeties. Texas has a ton of really great safeties. They go up against the most prolific passing offenses in the country, and... I don't understand why there's even a dilemma. To me, this is not even a question. Well, like you only you only got two two linebackers you trust. Only play those two linebackers. Only play the D lineman you trust. Other than that, I'm developing all those young guys to see if they can um, de- they can end up demanding reps. 
But other than that, you know, man, you right now, you you even told us you got four safeties you trust. Hell, I didn't even know Chris Brown was playing real, that well at safety. You're talking about, nah, man, I got to play him. He's playing that well. I got to get him out there, too. I'm like, damn. So you got B.J. Foster, Caden Stearns, Brandon Jones, and you got to play Chris Brown, and we're still waiting to see what DeMar Vion and Overshaw is going to bring to the table? Yeah. That's what you're telling me, Charlie Orlando? And you're trying to force, force a linebacker on the field in a passing conference like the Big 12? That don't make no sense. Well, right. and then if you just you know look I mean? at the numbers from last year, and we always talk about uh, the havoc rate meaning on passing plays whenever you are basically bringing more people from the back end to the line of scrimmage to play at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. But when you just look at the, say, run stuffs, when you look at the entire team, three of Texas's top four guys, they aren't linebackers. They're either your DBs or your defensive linemen. You had Ominahu up there. Then you had... It's uh, B.J. Foster was 11-and-a-half run stuffs, and then Brecken Hager had 12-and-a-half <laughs> run stuffs. So, like, you're bringing those guys up. If you look at the top eight also inside there, Brandon Jones, Caden Stearns, alongside Gary Johnson and Anthony Wheeler are the only two linebackers out of your top eight run stuff. So not only are you bringing in, and I'd like to see, since they do do a DB Havoc rate, if, like, I bet there's a metric out there that is actually your defensive backs on run blitzes, how yeah. many times they use use it and I'll try to look into that because That's I think point. they're probably already doing that and when you look at the numbers the only players with at least five or six run stuffs all the way up to your leaders in double digits you got six of the eight not being linebackers so that just sort of shows that he's already relying on defensive backs and defensive linemen to also stop the run yeah Rod I think if you're going to go down the road of leaning on your safeties to me BJ Foster's the guy that's going to hold it together he's the glue if he works out if you can be a base defense in that big nickel package, to me that just makes you infinitely yeah. more versatile and really opens up what you can do. Yeah, he basically is a, can be, be another linebacker for yeah. you in early rundowns, and then you you don't have to even shift. You can just kind of put him out on a slide or lined up on a tight end. I agree. And then after that, I still think you'll end up in dime or, hell, I even think quarters now is something, at least have a quarters package where you play seven DBs. Sounds crazy, but, I mean, that, the it's, team. In this league, no. In this league, really. I guess, that's what I'm saying. I, I think you should at least have those packages ready. And like you said, maybe he needs to create something new. I don't think he does. I think you just need to go look at mm-hmm. what some team, the Chargers are doing, go look at what the Patriots are doing, um, and then break out your lightning package, your dime package. And the big nickel. I, I don't really think there's anything else that he needs to create. <laughs> it's out yeah. there. Yeah, so I mean, he's got to commit to one. That's the thing. You know yeah. what I mean? To well, one. That's kind of what I was getting. Like, what do you? If you're Todd Orlando, Rod, put your Todd Orlando hat on. If you're him, what do you commit to? Like, if you're sitting here in the middle of June saying, "Okay, I think we're going to have to be this. We're going to have to be predominantly dime or predominantly big nickel or whatever. I'm going to have to commit to this." to be the kind of defense we want to be, what are you trying to commit to right I know. now? Coach what are you Kena, thinking you have to commit Coach, to right Coach King always said be wary of doing that and committing. Like, he said that's why he thinks a lot of defense, defensive uh, coordinators would always screw up back in the day because mm-hmm. ha- that's why we talk about being multiple. You have to be multiple. Sort of, right? Bill no Belichick's like, it. no, week to week. Week to week, mate. I might come out in something totally different yep. next week. It's depending on it's what I'm going to be against. Based. It's matchup based. But I think one of the things that Coach King always said, he said find out who your best 11 are, and then it will always help you in terms of what you need to play. I mean, don't force feed yourself into playing four down linemen when you only got two good ones. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, don't, you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying I about heard the a linebackers. really cool number. This was an 80% rule. I want 80% of the smartest players and the 80% of the best athletes. He said nothing about shooting. Just give me the 80% smart basketball players and 80% good athletes, and I'll figure it out after that. Because yeah. if you're a good athlete, you're one of the best players, and you're on the same page as the other guys, it's going to be hard to really screw up. No, that's that's why I, that's why the best 11, that always mm-hmm. made sense to me. It's like, who are the best 11? Well, you probably got, I mean, you're, if you're talking about safeties, I, I would say probably f- Four of your top eleven best players might be safety. If, if you're maybe if you, three, I say three, but maybe even four. If you mm-hmm. tell me, if you say Jeff, get on the whiteboard and draw me up what a defensive formation would look like with the best eleven on there. I've got four safeties because I think I Chris you. Brown's one of your best eleven, and that's what I've heard too. I've heard behind the scenes that he's having that kind. Of, at least he had that kind of off season. Which then goes back to BJ Foster and the big nickel. If you can make that work. Hell, Rod, he, in that Joker role, he was playing at linebacker depth pretty much all year last year. Matt, you just brought it up, the number mm-hmm. of run stuffs he had. I mean, he'll go back and look at his – Matt, I don't know if you can pull this up. Just his havoc, the Natural number of havoc plays he made in the Sugar Bowl. Yep. Yeah, I can look for I think it. I want to say he had like uh, the uh, like the, the 9, 11 or 9. That no, yeah, it's a, it's I think a, he had like yeah. 5 or I'll 6 I'll pull it up. Them. But, yeah, just the yeah. fact that he had yeah. 11 and a half run stuffs in addition. I mean, when you look at guys like McCulloch had 6 on the season, Malcolm Roach had 3, and you're talking about Stearns with 6 and a half. You had Brandon Jones with more than them. Even P.J. Locke had 5. Like, these guys, Chris Boyd, they were all in the same yeah. area as McCulloch and those yeah. guys. So I think they're already sort of doing this with the defense. I Yeah, I, to me, I, to, if I'm looking at my best 11, I got four safeties. I got th- I got Malcolm Rose, Taquan Graham, Kendrick Coburn, probably on my D line, mm-hmm. um, and I probably at linebackers. I probably got. Pelican Osai. I mean, really, Pelican Osai. That's a it. Day away there yet? I and I don't. So. Yeah, no. I think those are. I, and I, you know what? That what is that? Eleven? Yeah. yeah. Right? And I, you know, I got Cook and Jalen Green. Those are my best eleven. I, I'm. You know, I'm going to find a way to get those guys on the field. And I know there are guys like that on the cusp, but the more of you on Overshun may be there. Um, Delhi a day away, I think. Is a day away may be the there cusp. right there on the cusp. And when they're ready, you know what, then we'll start. We'll be even more multiple. Right. That's what we loved about the, the game plan against Georgia, right, was how multiple they were and then how many guys they threw out there. We're like, oh, that's great. That's what, the, that's what Texas ultimately wants to be. I don't think they're there yet. I wouldn't force feed it early on. But against LSU, the key is, you're gonna need bodies in the front seven. That's the key. If you if you didn't have LSU that might in be that non conference, you, you you <laughs> you wouldn't have to. You you probably could just go dime to start off, or you know, what I mean, and then and if we're talking matchup based, this is the one time when you may be exploited for not yes. having it or so having that, that deficiency that, this that's, early, which could yeah. be very fatal flaw. That's have. the one I think that you Your know, if BJ Foster is truly that big nickel, we'll find out. Well, and against LSU. Georgia, and I think he is. I think he truly is, but. Man, against them, I don't know if you want to play, uh, you know, early down dime and stuff like that, like you will in the Big Twelve. Well, and as Jeff asked for the numbers, it was against Georgia, where BJ Foster had four havoc plays, where it's a DB coming in, and the rest of the team had six. Yeah, and if you look across the board, only two were via linebackers: one from Gary Johnson, one from Anthony Wheeler. The rest are all DBs. You got Chris Boyd, PJ Locke, Devontae yeah. Davis. And then Brandon Jones, and then four from Foster. I think that's the long term plan, but short term LSU is what you got to figure out short term. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought the the coach Aquino point, Rod, because that was kind of my worry with Todd Orlando. Like, does he just does he get to the point where he starts looking at the inside linebacker issues and just overthink it? Like we saw we saw Manny Diaz really overthink it in 2012, and ultimately it ended up costing him his job. No doubt. 
But we just broke it down within the framework of what we've seen him do through 27 games. You can take, okay, you can take this package, mm-hmm. maybe just tweak it a little bit and say, okay, that's that's our base defense now. Yeah, I mean, I remember what he did in 2017 with all those DBs. I mean, all the DBs kept getting hurt. It was mm-hmm. not a necessity, but it was like it was Jason Hall and Antoine, Antoine Davis, and I'm missing some. That was another one in there that was thrown in there. Well, we um, kind of saw John well, Holton Hill got suspended. That's what it was. Who yeah. happened? Holton Hill got yeah, suspended. Yeah, he got suspended. And he had the, had the P.J. Lock injury back then, too? Yeah. And it was all, basically they got injury, and, him, and they had to start throwing in some guys. But, oh, those guys were great in that system. And you were playing dime, playing dime exclusively. It yeah. became like your it, be, it was your most effective defense, and it mm-hmm. really was because you had so much talent in a defensive backfield. Now, getting back to your initial point, this is why it's a nuanced issue. That defense was really unique because turns out you had an inside linebacker, Gary Johnson, that could run a four. Four yeah. four, and you had Malik Jefferson to run a four five. Yeah. So your two inside linebackers were probably faster than anybody else on your defense. It's like the NFL. <laughs> so I don't, I don't even know if we can look at twenty seventeen because that package now turns That's out it, you had eight, fire. You had like yeah, you had like eight DBs out there, Gary Johnson and Malik Jefferson, the way they could right. run mm-hmm. that kind of speed. Yeah. Well, so I mean, I, but what we're talking now, look at a body like BJ Foster. What's the biggest difference between him and a body of Malik Jefferson? Like they really look about physically the same when you see them coming in now their tools and what they can do is a lot different they're playing different positions but bj foster is one of the biggest dbs i've ever seen come in he looks like a linebacker he does but if you're if you're taking bj foster we're talking about this big nickel package in some instances depending on again depending on the matchup could you basically play him like you would play your rover normally yeah you could you know, slide McCulloch over to that Mac. Mm-hmm. You got Osiah B back or boom, you're off and run. This is the creativity of Tartalando, though, it's going to take. Well, say, you, you know what I mean? You talk about 2017, go back to that season when he wasn't getting what he wanted out of the B back or out of Nation Hughes. He said, you know what? Jason Hall is 6'3, 230. I don't lose any size, and he's a better blitzer. Just what Matt said about there, yeah, and I totally agree. Like that, that's why I, I'm really, this, this year is going to be fun because Tartalando, to your point about Tom Herman, you made earlier in the show, Tartalando. Has only this is only his first time in ten years, I believe. Well, he will be with a team as a DC for a third year. I want to say it's ten years. It's been a long mm-hmm. time because he's been one of those. They've been going two, to- yeah. He's been two and two and done two at two and out. Same pretty as much Herman. everywhere he's been, like, kind of like Herman. So yeah, we'll see his creativity come to the forefront, and not out of necessity because necessity yep. is the mother of invention. Now. Is some of it will be out of necessity, but some of it will be him knowing the personnel, him knowing, you know, he's recruited these guys specifically to play certain positions and to play within his system. I'm really excited to see. It's, I think Tarlando's a brilliant DC. I'm yeah. really excited to see what he's going to bring to the fore. To your point, Rod, two years at FIU, two at Utah State, two at Houston, and two at Texas going into year three. He, had, he hadn't had this much talent ever on a defense. Gary, that you know, what I mean, I it's just raw talent, that. and he it, he hadn't had this good of D lineman. I think that's one thing he lacked uh, in his uh, formative years as a DC. But also, he hasn't had a chance to recruit players to play a mm-hmm. system. Everything is pointing to Todd Orlando being able to um, to keep this defense at least somewhat close to the level they were last year. Uh, but. You know, there's a lot of inexperience, unprecedented inexperience. Yeah, as a matter the fact. thing, the thing that I think if you're a Texas fan, you hang your hat on is that Todd Orlando's been here before. When you talk about losing, because look at what they lost from it's true. 17 going into 18, 2017, you lose really, Poudreaux, yeah. you lose Malik Jefferson, you lose Deshaun Elliott, you lose Holton Hill. Yeah, all these, all these other pieces we're talking about, and yeah, in the middle of the season, was it bad? Yeah, it got really bad against got really bad. Oklahoma State, against West Virginia, against Texas Tech, but Rod. 
That also gave me space because he righted the ship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We didn't see Manny Diaz had they had some good games to end twenty twelve, but we didn't see it trend in the, the right direction like we saw. Like go back to that Oklahoma game. Defense wasn't the reason you lost that Oklahoma game. No. No. I agree with that. Yeah. And I was getting I thought I felt I was getting on the verge of shouting matches in the press box at AT and T Stadium. I was like, why why aren't you why aren't you putting more pressure on Kyler Murray? He's not going after Kyler Murray. I'm like, no. Make him drive it him twenty drive plays. It. Make yeah. him beat you by going to like you, you brought that stat last week yeah. about the double digit eight play double drives. digit drives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eight yeah. double digit scoring drives. Or I think it's drives period. Eight double digit play drives. That's all oh, they yeah. had. That's crazy. That's yeah. insane. But so yeah, exactly. explosive. Make them make them do that because that's outside their comfort zone. I agree. And guess what? That game plan, Oklahoma had the fewest rushing yards they had all year in that game. Like they only had 129. Well, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's just harder to be that successful in that many consecutive plays, and that's that margin of error that they can take out of it when you're explosive. Yeah. No, I got. I think Tyler Lando will figure it out, but I'm with you. It's going to be a mix of creativity and great uh, personnel evaluation because you got a lot yeah. of guys like Overshawn and B.J. Foster and, you know, some guys like, nah, man, I, I might be able to use him like this. Or exactly. Malcolm Roach and your Taquan Grahams. You got some guys that if you, 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 you put them in the right position, um, man, they can be, they can be lethal weapons. Yeah, but if, if you, you evaluated them correctly to yeah. fit you what you wanted to do. Because these are the first. Because we actually are still using Charlie players with Tom Herman's yeah. scheme for the last few. So this is yeah. the first time where he gets to have his guys fit in to see how he does. And if you assess that correctly on that very first go-around, you pay, get the goodness and, coming out this year. And something you said, Rod, Matt, you hit on it too, being matchup-based. Probably gonna be one of those deals like when you get to the LSU game. That's probably a game where you want Delia a day away playing a healthy number of snaps. Which yes, yeah, good town. Yeah, you're right. Now development is off season is big. Yeah. You know what I mean for the front seven and for those linebackers. Yeah, I think K State is gonna be another one of those games where you K-State's probably want like that. Yeah, you know. and I mean, I mean, I think Iowa State. Well, you know what, the Big Twelve's changing because you got Matt Rule and I was say they're gonna spread you out, but you know they want to. No, those guys want the, they want to run it. The they want air, to get into a power air, running game. The air raid is is leaving the conference slowly but surely. Yeah, and, and the get ready for it. The phrase you're going to hear every week when we start breaking down these opponents: hybrid spread. Oh, mm, I like is that. The, the yeah. term you're going to so get basically a hybrid there. between power power run game and the pro pro styles and and spreads. Yeah, like yeah. like uh, what <laughs> Neil Brown's going to do at West Virginia is a perfect example. Like yeah. Neil Brown played for How Mummy and mm-hmm. Mike Leach. In theory, he's an air raid guy. But you watch Troy; they're not an air raid offense. They're not an air raid, yeah. But I think I think the Big Twelve. Matter of fact, I think you just hit on it. I think they are a hybrid spread league now. Yeah, you know what I mean, with Matt Rule and with you know Matt Campbell and just Tom Harmon. Matt, well, Matt, Matt Wells, Matt Wells, Matt Wells too. Tech, yeah, yeah, it's just a hybrid spread league. I like well, that. Just think New about term. coin it, bing. You think about like the way that you see the pendulum, and it always is going to go one way, and it swung the way of the spread yeah. real quick. But it's just the way that you can't stay there. You, you have to adapt there. a little bit, and that's the perfect one. Yep, I agree. And I don't know what you're going to see from Les Miles at Kansas. That, that be. <laughs> Less is more. <laughs> well, and I just looked it up because it was on my mind when I looked up B.J. Foster's listed weights, like at 210, 215. Do y'all think by the time it goes around playing time in the fall, he'll be around that weight, maybe a 225 type guy? Mm. I think probably a two, 215 to 220. I say, yeah, area. but you don't want right now, I just went to the draft yeah. and just clicked. Mm. The first guy I saw drafted in the sixth round, that's a linebacker. Yeah. Out of West Virginia, 5'11", 227. Yeah. Like, you can B.J. Foster is oh, that body that. type. Well, yeah. hell, I mean, go back and look at that TCU defense that's a couple years ago. drafting in the sixth Round taking a guy. Tra- like that. Traven Howard was a really good linebacker in this conference at like two ten. Yeah, Bucks. We're Bucks saying we have the NFL drafting. Nebraska. 
back in the day. He oh, was, Levante David. Levante David, David was like that. He was like 5'10". Yeah, he was playing like safety. Gary Johnson oh, man, was under you, 230. Yeah, Basically, yeah. Fantasy sports, yeah, Levante David's a tackle machine. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> he can run. He just runs around everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. All right, next week we'll talk defense and whatever else comes up for discussion on another offseason edition of the Blitz. But right now we are out of time. Matt, thanks for uh, everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049-1019 AM1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. You can get Rod on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Same as plug. You get this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and like us. And thanks to Matt, you can get our classic interviews, classic shows, all of our archives on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.